This morning, the title of my sermon is Focus on the Prize. I believe, and there it is, of course. My text is the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. This Sunday, I have selected the NIV as the translation. I find it's very easy reading. And if I may just quickly read it, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. Pray with me now in the spirit of Psalm 1914. And so, dear Lord, this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. You know, I love, I love our country. We live in the greatest country in the world. We have the world's largest economy. We have the world's strongest military. We have the world's most advanced technology. And we are the world's richest country. Look around you, we have the best transportation system in the world. And those are just a few of the things we lead the world in. But before your head swells, there's another first place trophy that we hold. We are the most wasteful country in the world. Literally, we produce more garbage than anyone else in the world. And even though we only populate 4% of this world, we produce 12% of the garbage and trash. The average American is responsible for 1,700 pounds of garbage a year. And we waste more food than any other country in the world. When you take into account all the food in homes, restaurants, and various companies and corporations, we throw away 40% of our food. You know, it's like we're talking about bringing home two bags of groceries and taking one and dumping most of its contents out into the ground. It will never go to feed a homeless person or to provide for a child who is stuck in poverty. It's wasted. The richest country in the world wastes the most money. You know, the average American wastes $15,000 a year buying things that they simply don't need. Now, please understand... I'm not trying to be a downer here, but I believe that there's an even greater waste going on, not just in America, but in the world, and that's a wasted life. And although you waste food, you can buy more food. Although you waste money, you can earn more money, but you only have one life, and it's too precious to waste. And today, I want to share with you one principle, straight from the Word of God, on how to make sure that You not only don't waste your life, but you can give your life and get out of your life one surefire way to make sure that you achieve the greatest potential for that life 
and to live that life at its fullest. And here's the principle. Keep your eyes on the prize. In other words, keep your eyes on the goal. And let me tell you what I mean. Life is exactly like a race. From the time you are born until the time you die, you are running a race. The one goal in every race is to cross the finish line. And no matter what else you do in a race, it doesn't matter how hard you run. It doesn't matter how fast you run. If you don't cross the finish line, you won't win. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. Football is a good example. No matter how many yards passing, no matter how many yards rushing, unless if you want to win the football game, you must cross the goal line. You have to physically take that ball and put it across that goal line. If you have a place kicker, he's got to kick it between the goalposts. And if you don't do those things, you will not win the game. And I heard about a football coach who was trying to teach his six-year-old son how to become a place kicker. He got down on his knees and he put the ball down on the ground and he balanced it. And then he looked at his little son and he said, Son, when I nod my head, kick it. And that's how he lost his two front teeth. I look back on my life and realize that the things that I have made in my life that have given mean, meaningful, that I've had a meaningful life has been the goals that I have achieved that had a purpose. See, goals give you the direction, the drive, and the desire to achieve, to produce, and to be better. J.C. Penney said, Give me a stock clerk with a goal, and I will show you a man who will make history. Give me a man without a goal, and I will show you a stock clerk. So this morning, I'm in a sermon from Philippians that I'm calling Focus on the Prize. And one surefire way to get joy in the life you are living is to set God-given goals and then to devote your life every day to reaching those goals. You know, a man by the name of Paul gives us a formula on, on how to do that. He gives us three simple steps that you can use at the beginning of every year the beginning of every month, the beginning of every week, the beginning of every day, so that that year, that month, that week, those days can be the best year and the best month and the best week and the best day of your life. And this is how you do it. You keep your eyes on the prize. You maintain your focus on the goal. So first consider in your outline to forget what is behind you. No matter what, where you are in life or how much either of you have achieved or haven't achieved, you will never achieve all of your goals and you should always have goals that you never really get to achieve. Paul says in Philippians 3.12, he states, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You know, there's so many things that we can all admire about Paul. 
all the things that he achieved in his life. He was the, the world's greatest theologian, the world's greatest church planter, the world's greatest missionary. Some believe he was the world's greatest Christian. But here, he is admitting that he doesn't have it all together, that there are still places that he has to go, and there are things that he still wants to do. And though he has reached a lot of his potential, he has not reached it all. And so I don't care where you are in life. As long as you are drawing a breath, there will always be more lessons to learn, more principles to apply, more room to grow. And the first step you have to take to move forward is to quit looking backwards. Our text, Philippians 3.13 states, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind. You know, too many people never get to where they need to go today or tomorrow because they are still living in yesterday. And the truth is you cannot focus on where you are going until you forget about where you have been. No runner has ever won a race by running the entire time looking backwards. You cannot sail the ship of your life into the seas of the future if you are stuck with your anchor in the mud of the past. You can't go forward if you're always looking backwards. And it's so easy to do that. Let me be honest with you. There are a lot of things I wish I could do over as a pastor, as an attorney. There are certainly a lot of things I wish I could do over as a father, as a husband. There are things I've done in my life I wish I could undo. There are words I said I wish I could take back. Sir Winston Churchill said it perfectly. If the past quarrels with the present, there can be no future. We must learn to accept the past as unalterable and move on. Don't misunderstand what that word forget means. It doesn't mean to fail to remember. There's no way you could ever totally erase the past from your memory. The word forget here in Philippians 3.13 literally means not to be influenced or affected by. For example, God says in Isaiah 43.25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. When he says, I remember your sins no more, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden God comes up with a bad memory or he gets spiritual dementia. It simply means that he will no longer allow your past to affect your present relationship with him or your future fellowship with him. You know, I read about a man who went to see his doctor and he was very, very concerned. He said, doctor, you've got to help me. And the doctor said, what's wrong? The man said, I'm suffering from amnesia. What should I do? The doctor said, just go home and forget about it. (laughs) Listen, 
There are things we need to forget on a daily basis. We need to forget our past failures, our past mistakes, things that we didn't do that we should have done, and the things that we did that we should not have done. You confess them, you repent of them, and you try to make amends where you, are, where you can. And you try to learn from them, try to use them to make you a better person, but you've got to move on. Then you've got to forget your past successes. It doesn't matter how well you did yesterday. Today is another day. Yesterday's victory doesn't mean anything in today's game. Three of the saddest words I hear people say are these. I used to. I used to attend regularly worship. I used to be involved in small groups. I used to disciple other people. I used to go on mission trips. I used to share my faith. I used to serve in my church. Listen, what we must all do is this. Learn from the past. Live in the present. And look to the future. And that leads to my next step in order to keep the focus on the prize. So second in your outline, consider to focus on what is before you. You know, Paul has put his past where it belongs, in the rearview mirror. And now he can put the present where it belongs, on his windshield. And so Paul gives us a secret of what we must do every day if we are going to get the most out of that day, and that day is going to get the most out of us. So again, Philippians 3.13 states, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, but one thing I do. In two simple words, Paul tells us the difference between mediocrity and superiority, the difference between ordinary and extraordinary. The words are one thing. Have you ever thought about how important those two words are in the Bible? There was a a rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked him how he could receive eternal life. He told Jesus all the things that he had done and all the commandments that he had kept. And he was stunned when Jesus said, one thing you lack. Jesus was staying at the home of his adopted family, Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha was in the kitchen cooking dinner and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him teach. Martha was getting upset because she was doing all of the work by herself and she came in and began to fuss at Mary to come and to help her. Do you remember what Jesus said to Martha? Martha, only one thing is needed. The greatest king who ever lived, David, a man after God's own heart who could have asked God for anything and God would have given it to him. He said in Psalm 27, 4, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. One thing I ask. Do you know why one thing is such a big deal? Many know 
That concentration is the secret of power. You can take a swamp and channel that swamp into a river that goes in one direction and you have the capability, the capacity to create a tremendous source of electric energy. You can take light, concentrate it, and make a laser beam that can cut through steel. The key is making sure that you have at least one goal, but make sure that it is the right goal. You know, the first time I went to a Ringley Brothers and Bailey Circus, I saw this man getting into a cage with a lion, and all he had was a stool and a little whip. Have you ever wondered why a lion tamer carries a stool with him? Because when the lion tamer holds that stool with those legs extended towards that lion's face, the lion tries to focus on all four legs at the same time. That divided focus paralyzes him. You know, God put us on this planet to focus on one thing and one thing only. You can do more than one thing, but you should only focus on one thing, to be what God wants you to be. What was Paul's one thing that he was seeking? Philippians 3.14 states, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The Greek word for goal is skopos, which means to focus on. We get our word telescope from that word. It means to fix your eye on a very small target. Paul's eyes were on the prize. He was focused on this one thing, which he called the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that? God has called every one of us to accomplish one goal. If you accomplish this one goal in your life on a daily basis, you will maximize the influence you have in your business, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your family, and every other area of your life. This is the one thing that we must seek daily, to know God and glorify Him. And no matter what other goals you achieve in life, doesn't matter how many ladders you climb or how high you climb on them. If you do not know God and glorify Him with everything you are and everything you have, your life is a waste and you have chased the wrong goal. That means that every waking moment of every day you have on this earth, you do not dwell on the past and you do not dread the future. You devote yourself to the present and you make it your one thing goal to know God, and to glorify Him. Keep your eyes on that prize. Third, in your outline, consider to face what is beyond you. Paul uses a word in this passage to tell us how to face the future. Remember, Paul is in prison, and he doesn't know what kind of future he has. He doesn't even know if there will be a tomorrow for him, But here is what he's saying. If there is a tomorrow, no matter what my circumstances, I know what I will be doing. Again, Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize. I press on. The word for press on means to relentlessly pursue. 
So you remember, life is like a race. In this passage, Paul is talking like an athlete. What he's saying is, no matter how dark tomorrow may look, no matter how dire my circumstances may be, no matter how discouraging things may appear, I'm going to keep on running. I won't be deterred, I won't be detoured, and I won't be distracted. I'm going to keep my eyes on the price of knowing God and glorifying Him until I hit the finish line of my life. Now I want to be very careful how I say this next thing. There are too many people that their ultimate prize is retirement. and Too often that word is sugarcoating what we really mean. When some people, they retire, they want to be able to quit and either do nothing or only do what they want. God never enters into it. I believe that every follower of Jesus Christ who is living should always be actively involved, worshiping God in their church, involved in being discipled and discipling others, serving their church some way, somehow, and in their neighborhood. They should be sending themselves to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know why when we get to a certain age we stop all that stuff? Because we take our eyes off the prize. You see, what Paul said was, I'm never going to retire. I may retool, but I'm not going to retire. I'm not going to die sitting and soaking. I'm going to die standing and serving. Let me ask you, what one thing will you focus on for the rest of your life? At the end of the day, at the end of every day, we all focus on one of two things. What we want or what God wants. Too many people spend their life making things instead of making things count. What would it mean for you if you finally got your eyes on the right price and every day you pressed on toward that prize? For some of you, it might mean that for the first time in your life, you will have read your Bible every day. Maybe read it through completely. For others of you, it would mean you would begin to manage your money in a way that honors God and be faithful financially. And for many of you, you would realize that God didn't put you here to be served, but to serve. And you would find a way and a place to serve God's church and God's people. For many of you, it would mean You're no longer going to practice Lone Ranger Christianity. You're going to get involved in a life group, a community group, a small group, some group where you can help others grow and where you yourself will grow. And for so many of you, it would mean getting serious about the one thing. And that would be that God would use you to help other people see what the real prize is and put their eyes on that prize. God didn't put us here to run the rat race. God put us here to run the real race. He didn't put us here to get the approval of the world, but to run for His glory. The prize is not the gold of this world. It is the glory of God. And when you have your eyes on the prize, and you have that goal every day to know God and to know Him and to give Him glory, then He will make sure that all the other things will fall into place. 
Amen? Service, service is over. You know, when I, when I was a Catholic, at the end of every Mass, generally, the priest always gave a pastoral blessing. We have benediction, we close in prayer, but a pastoral blessing of the pastor to the flock is not something that is usually done in Protestant churches, but it's scriptural. So in closing this service, this is my pastoral blessing to you. If you bow your heads. May the holy wisdom of God guard your ways and guide your paths. May the living truth of God enlighten your hearts and open your minds. And may the living spirit of God give you life and life to the full. Amen. Go in peace and with the grace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Seek your brothers and sisters who are not here and encourage them to come. It's safe. See you next week. Amen. Amen.